excited to be here? Because I'm just flipping excited to be here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we've gotten to know Pastor Malik and Ashley over probably the last several months, and, and they're amazing. So I know you guys are amazing, right? So I'm going to go ahead and tell you a quick story. So last year, August, we went to Korea, like uh, Pastor Malik said, we travel a lot. So we went to Korea. Korea is awesome. It is fun, but also ex- exhausting. And uh, Pastor Malik can probably tell you for sure how exhausting that is. So we were there for two weeks, and uh, we did three services a day for two weeks, nonstop. So we had, like I think, two days off in that whole time we were there. Um, so by the end, I preached everything I knew. By the like, last day, I started making up stuff that wasn't in the Bible. I was like, and then the disciples, they helped Noah build the ark. And, and like, I just started making up stuff because I, I, like, I preached everything I knew. I got nothing else to give y'all. And they're like, oh, please, one more service. And I'm like, okay, what you want me to say? <clears throat> so, so I just made up stuff. Uh, <laughs> I won't do that tonight. Maybe we'll see. No. So at the end of that trip, we're completely exhausted, as you can imagine, I'm sure. Okay, hold on. Let me back up. So before, when we are about to go on the trip, I really was like, all right, Lord, I'm just going to press in, and I'm just going to believe you for just, just supernatural favor right now. And I'm like, Lord, I want first class. A 14-hour flight from Atlanta straight to Korea. I want first class. I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to put my faith out there and just believe you for this. And so... I kind of put my faith out there. So we get to the airport, and I go talk to the place. So on my Delta app, you can see, like, when there's empty seats and stuff in first class. So I'm like, I saw empty seats. And so I went up to the counter. I'm like, oh, my gosh, look, there's empty seats. You know, is there, is there like, a chance to get an upgrade? And the lady's like, let me check your ticket, da-da-da-da-da. She's like, um, we normally don't do upgrades to business class from, from the status you're in unless you pay the difference. I was like, okay, how much is the difference? She's like, $6,000. Um, American dollars? She's like, yes. And I was like, oh, cool, 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 cool. I'm just going to sit down now. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just went back to my seat. I was like, all right, that ain't happening. And so I was like, oh, well, I tried, right? So we get on the plane, and you have to walk through first class, which is, I think is really evil, by the way. <laughs> so you have to walk through first class to get you to your tiny seat, right? And so you're, you're, you're like walking by, looking at all these giant seats, people stretching out, lounging out, and you're like, bless you. Mm. <laughs> Trying to have a good attitude, right? <laughs> and so I'm, I walk back, and we go to steerage where they keep the luggage. That's where our seats were. And so we sit back there 14 hours. You're like this, all cramped, you know? And so... That was our way there. So on the way back, I gave up hope. As a mighty man of faith that I had, I I gave up hope. On the way back, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And so we're at the airport, like we're just about to board the plane. And they're like, well, Jermaine and Rebecca Francis, please come to the desk. But like, have you ever seen that show Locked Up Abroad? Where they plant stuff in people's luggages and then they get trapped in another country? Like, that's what went through my mind. And I was like... Okay, I'm going to go up to that desk, but if they ask me if that's your luggage, I'm going to deny it. I'm going to be like, that's not my bag. I've never seen that bag here. I'm like, no, no, I'm not getting locked up in Korea. It, it's sketchy. North Korea is right there. It, I, don't, I don't want things to go down. And so I'm like, what in the world could this be? So I walk up to the counter, and they're like, we've upgraded you to business class. I was like, shut the front door. You're lying right now. They're like, no, we, we just upgraded you. I was like, what? 
I was like, this is not a joke, right? It's not like one of those hidden camera shows where they're going to like pop up, kidding. And they're like, no, we've upgraded you. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. So they gave us our tickets. And so they brought us to like this second door that you walk through, like a red carpet and stuff coming out. And I was like, what? Stepping on this red carpet, looking around like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. And so we get in. And, like, our seat was, like, 1A and 1B or something. And so, like, I'm, like, double-checking, is this, is this really this seat? Because the seat's, like, huge, and it's, like, angled. And so I'm, like, standing there, like, I don't even know what to do right now. So I'm, like, watching the people around me, all of them, like, opening compartments, pulling out pillows and blankets and, like, all this extra stuff that I'm, like, I'm going to pretend I know what I'm doing. Oh, my gosh, just totally knew that was in there. And I'm, like, <laughs> I fly first class all the time. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying not to outwardly freak out. Like, outwardly, I'm trying to be super calm. Like, how you doing? Great business guy. <laughs> yep, doing good. Like, they're, like, pu- pulling down compartments. Things are popping out, all kinds of stuff. Like, like headphones and, like, chocolates and, like, lotions and eye masks and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, what in the world? And so I sit down in the seat. And then there's, like, like 15 buttons on the side. And, of course, I have to touch every one of them. And so I start, like, hitting them one by one, like, the chair starts doing weird things, starts going forward. I'm like, no, don't want that one. Hit another one, it starts going back. I'm like, oh, this is, oh, oh, it's, it's still going back. Oh, wow. And then it lays down into a bed. And my chair goes flat into a bed. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, you're good. All right. So, like, now I'm, like, reclined in this bed. And the lady comes by. She's like, we're about to take off. You have to kind of sit up. I was like, oh, okay. So I, I go back. But, like, I'm telling you, it was the most relaxing and blessed time of my entire life on this 14-hour flight. And so, and so the plane, like, I, I slept, I watched movies, like, they, they bring you steak and, and, and every, all kinds of stuff. And so every, so every five minutes, thank you. We're just going to play magic microphone here. Um, so every five minutes, I kept, like, waking up and, like, hitting Rebecca. I was like, we're in first class. Oh, my gosh. Oh my God, this is happening. And so, like the pilot gets on, he's like, we're about to land in Atlanta. And I was like, oh, this is sad. It's about to end. I've never not wanted to get off a, a plane as fast as normally. This time I was like, can we, can we circle back around a couple times? Because I'm really enjoying this right now. But it was an awesome experience. So, I just want to kind of jump off at of that point and say, God has more. God has more for us. He has more than we're expecting for ourselves. He has more than we want for ourselves. And he wants more than you want more. Do you realize you are created for more? You are created for greatness. He made you to fulfill his purpose and his desire of greatness. And see, sometimes I think what happens is we look at the natural world and the natural circumstance. And the natural world limits God. It limits our own perception of God, and it limits what we think is possible in our lives. Because I'm looking at my natural circumstance, and they're saying, you, you can never be upgraded to, to first class. That We don't do that. that. That doesn't happen. And then I watch God do something they said they never do. And it's because now I, I, I began to trust God more than what I was seeing with my natural eye or more than what the circumstance was telling me. And so many times we begin to live and operate in the limitations of circumstance when God is saying there's more. What you're seeing is actually a lie. 
what you're seeing, the temporal existence around you, is actually a limited factor of what God wants to release and what God wants to do. God lives outside of reality, outside of time. And so when we live our lives based on those limitations, guess what we experience? Those limitations. But when we can step into God, when we can step into the atmosphere we had here in worship, when we can begin to step into that atmosphere and live out of that place, we can now live at a place where the impossible is now possible on a daily basis. And we can begin to see God do things in our lives that, w- that they would say, how is that possible? There's no way that could happen. And God will do the impossible in your lives. So I want to share tonight just a word of the Lord that God gave me for this year, which is called reaching for the risk. Um, and the verse that I have is Isaiah 54, verse number two. And it says, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. And so this, this verse is about reaching for the more. It is about not being limited by your circumstance or your situation. And so what was actually happening in that scripture was the Israelites were in Babylonian captivity. They were surrounded by the enemy. They were actually in a place of defense. They were in a place of trying to survive. They were in a place of just trying to make it. And this is what God speaks to them. God says, stretch out your tent pegs and prepare to expand. That is the most illogical thing you could tell to a people that are in captivity. They're surrounded by the enemy in every direction. There is no place to expand. There is no place to stretch out. I'm surrounded by the enemy. I'm trying just to hold the little territory I have. I'm trying just to survive. But God begins to speak into another realm. He begins to speak beyond their limitation, beyond the thing that was holding them back, beyond what they could see with their natural eye. He was saying, that's what you're seeing, but let me tell you what's happening in my reality. I'm saying you're getting ready to expand. You're getting ready to grow. You're getting ready to take more territory. You're getting ready to push back the enemy, and you're getting ready to advance. The enemy thinks he has you surrounded. But God actually has the enemy surrounded. And he's getting ready to position you in a place of advancing. Uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30, we see the, sto- the parable of the talents. We know the parable of the talents, right? Yeah. So a servant, uh, a master goes to servants. To one he gives five. To one he gives, well, actually gives ten. Then the next one he gives five. Then he gives one to one of his servants. And he says, I'm going to town. And then I'll be back. Just watch over the talents I've given you. And so he doesn't tell him when he's coming back. He just says, take care of what I've given you. And so when he does come back, the one that had five came to him and said, Master, you gave me five and I multiplied it. Now I have ten. And then the second one that he gave, well, he gave ten, then he gave five. He did the exact same thing. But then the last one said, you gave me one talent. So I was afraid that you're going to be upset because I know you're, you, you, you're a man that is big into investments. Hit the talent. And in my logical mind, I'm like, good job. You know, protect that one talent. Yeah, hide it. 
But the master said, you wicked and evil servant. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so harsh right now. Like, calm that down a notch. (laughs) Um, But when you begin to look at what really happened, was the guy that had the one talent. He was operating in a place of fear. And because he was afraid, he held what he had and didn't release it. And so the master wasn't upset that he, that he didn't multiply the talent. He was really upset because he, he got into a place of fear and not in a place of believing that the increase could come. The other servants believed increase was possible, so they took what they had and brought increase to it. He was afraid, so he held what he had. And no increase came to him. And so when we get into a place of fear, we get locked up. And we get limited And we don't have the ability to grow and to expand and to receive more. Because do you realize the same hand that is clenched cannot receive? So if you're holding on to something very tight, guess what? You can't receive either. The only thing you have is what what you're holding on to. But the hand that's open to give is the same hand that's open to receive. And so to be in a posture to receive from God, you also have to be in a posture to give. To be able to pour out, to give, and then God will pour more into you. But if you're holding on to the little that you have, that like, oh my gosh, this is all I have. You're living in a place of fear which limits and constricts what, what's, what's actually being to flow through you. And that actually happens in your natural body also. When your body comes into a place of fear, your blood vessels actually tightens up. And blood doesn't flow freely through your body when you're, not, when you're operating in a place of fear. And so that's how you can end up in panic attacks, and that's how you can pass out. That happens to some people. I'm not going to say anything else. Um, but, that, but your blood vessels begin to constrict. And it's the same thing in the spirit. When we, don't, when we don't allow God to open up and flow through us, we're constricting ourselves and cutting off the blood flow. What is blood flow? It is the life source to us. It is a life source of the Holy Spirit in us. When we're not in a place of openness, it's not flowing and operating in our lives. And God wants us to flow in that place of love with him so that we can receive and we can give from that place of love with him. So sometimes we can use wisdom, use the word wisdom to cover up our fear. Well, we can make it an excuse and say, well, that's not wisdom. I'm not going to do that. And we can use the word wisdom to really say, truthfully, I'm terrified and I don't want to do it and I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm just going to say, I'm just going to be wise about the situation and approach with caution, right? And, And God has not called us to live in a place of fear. He's called us to live in a place of love and to flow in his love with him. And to really to navigate with him through that place of love and walk with him in that place. And so God wants to set us free from fear tonight. Are you ready to be set free from fear? Just go ahead and lift your hands right now. So, Father, right now we thank you that perfect love casts out all fear. So right now, God, there are things that you're asking people in this room to do. But fear is holding them back. So right now, Father, we say every place of fear that is causing a hindrance from connecting to you to be loose now in Jesus' name. Lord, release your love right now. Release that perfect love right now. 
There it is. It's just, just flowing right now. Lifting off fear. Lifting off every bit of worry. Every place we're uncertain. Every place we don't trust you, Lord. Your love is coming in right now. And bringing in an exchange of love for fear right now. So we command fear to be bound right now in Jesus' name. Go. Every, every spirit of fear, every bit of fear, we command it to be loosed right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We just receive your love right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So God is calling us into a place of risk. Into a place of trusting him into a place of following him and into a place that may seem a little bit uncomfortable and and leave us really in a place of uncertainty. But that's where he's calling us. So here's, I mean, America's a great country, right? But here's here's one of the things that, that lulls us to sleep is the American dream. Because the American dream says we have the right to pursue happiness, we have the right to, to, to kind of do whatever we want and accomplish what we want. But what, what really is advertised or what is really promoted as the American dream is you go to college, you get a good job, you get a stable job, you get a good income, you live in a nice neighborhood, and you have a good life. Right? And that's really what most of us are in pursuit of, which is actually we're in pursuit of comfort. What we're saying is we want comfort. We want something secure and stable and something that leaves us in a place of, of rest and security, something that we can trust in. When God said, the only thing to trust in is me. And so God, God is calling us out of the American dream and into his dream. And his dream is challenging. And his dream requires risk. It requires us to trust him in every aspect, in every step that we take with him. So do you know, you know, we prophesy, right? And we, we give prophetic words. I have never received a word or given a word where I've given the person every answer about their life. Half the time it comes with more questions after I'm done, right? And so I remember the very first prophetic word I got, the person prophesied to me and said, you're called to be a prophet, you're going to go to the nation's and, and you're going to go before kings. You're going to go before important, influential people releasing the word of the Lord. And I'm like crying, snot crying, and, and just like receiving, like, oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. And as soon as I wipe snot off of my nose and my clothes, what does that mean? How do I do any of that? How does any of that happen? And, you know, it was intimidating. It was like, okay, Lord, I, I, really, you, I said it. You said it, so I'm going to believe you. But I have no idea how you're going to do any of this. But I had to trust him. I had to now walk this process out and trust him. And it's through me walking out the process that he enabled me to fulfill what he called me to do. And so we don't get the answers up front. Sorry. <laughs> it's a process that God leads you into. God is really good at baiting you. He like puts this amazing bait out there like, oh my gosh, yes, God, yes, God. And you're following it. And then all of a sudden, like, why am I on the edge of a cliff? How did I get here? Right? I'm just following God. And so God will lead us into situations that seem difficult and impossible on purpose. Because he'll never put us in a place where we don't need him. 
He will always orchestrate situations and circumstances where we have to depend on him. Because any dream, any purpose, any vision he's given us, it depends on him to fulfill it. He'll never give you a vision or a purpose that you can fulfill in your own ability or in your own strength. And if you, if you think you can, then you're wrong. <laughs> I, tr- I thought I could, <laughs> and I tried, and it didn't work. I was like, all right, Jesus, I need you, I guess, right? <laughs> no. But, but it's a process that God leads us through to fulfill destiny. And did you know, if you, if you take someone from the Middle East and you drop them in the highest mountain ranges, just put them on top of the highest mountain, they would suffocate? Immediately, because the Middle East is, is, is some of actually the lowest uh, sea level on, on planet Earth. So if you bring them to high altitudes, they don't know how to survive in that altitude because their body has not been acclimated to the thin levels of oxygen that's there. So what you actually have to do is you take them to the base of the mountain and have them climb. Because each step they take, their body is slowly adjusting to the altitude level. So when they get to the top, they can now stand there and be sustained. And so we're like, God, bring me to the mountaintop. And God's like, if I bring you to the mountaintop, you're going to die immediately. Because you're not conditioned to manage the mountaintop. And so God gives us promises, but he puts us at the base of the mountain so that we can be prepared to take step by step by step. So when the promises come, we can manage it and it won't crush us. So God wants to equip us to fulfill the purpose and the destiny that he's called us to. But he puts us sometimes in difficult situations to prepare us for the blessing. And to prepare us for what he has for us. And so we have to walk the process out that God leads us into. Because that's how we develop the strength to manage it. I want to read just a couple quotes on, on risks to kind of get, get, get you stirred up here. All right. Here's the first one. If you don't play, you can't win. Is that true? I mean, I'm, I'm never going to win an NBA championship. No matter how much in my mind I think I am, because I'm not in the NBA. So there you go. <clears throat> you fail at every shot you don't take. The biggest risk is not taking any risks. In a world of changing rapidly, the only strategy to not fail is to keep taking risks. Mark Zuckerberg, creator of Facebook, said that. Go out on a limb. That's where the best fruit is. One does not discover new lands without conceding to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. So you're never going to accomplish something new unless you're willing to leave what's been comfortable for you. Do one thing every day that scares you. Because we can get so into a comfort zone. We can get so into just a mold of of life and, and, and doing things when God is calling us to more, when he's saying, I want you, I want you to, to, to go talk to someone you haven't talked to today. I want you to, to step out of your comfort zone of what you're used to doing. Because you realize we can get into the mode in a comfort zone where we don't need God. Because we're not in a place of risk. 
we're not in a place where we need him to show up because we're like, well, I got my good, good job. I got my everything around me is set. I know how to do worship. I know how to come to church. I, I know what to do Monday through Friday. And we can go through our week without a demand needing God. But when we put ourselves in a place of risk, like, okay, God, you need to show up because I can't do this. Guess what he does? He shows up every single time. You, you ever listen to stories of missionaries on the mission field that have, like, these amazing stories? And you're like, oh, my gosh, they have such amazing stories. But they also have amazing challenges. And so it's because they have those challenges that they need God to show up. And sometimes we don't have enough, enough challenge that we're like, okay, we need God to show up. So we get comfortable. You know, Pastor Malik was praying and talking about passion. How do you get passion? You get passion when you're in a desperate place. When, when you need something to happen, then you're, you're passionate about something when, when you're in a place where you need something to happen, right? <clears throat> Don't be afraid to take a big step. You can't cross a chasm with two jumps. <laughs> Think about that one. Uh, the victor of Baghdad, his name's Canon Andrew White, he, his mentor gave him this advice. He was actually about to leave his mentor and just say, you know, you know, have a good, you know, take care, whatever, have a good day. And so the mentor said, looked at him and said, don't tell me to take care. Tell me to take risk. Because if I take care, I'm seeking a comfortable place. But if I take risks, I'm seeking a God place. And so when we take risks, we're trusting God. We're believing God. I mean, my, my situation was, was mild and, and just kind of believing for that first-class flight. But I, but I stepped out there by faith. You know, I, I went up to the counter. I'm like, I'm going to ask. I'm going to do this. You know, and, and, I, and I intended to do it. And God, event, and God did it, right? God, God showed up in a way that I didn't even expect him to show up the way he did. But I took a risk. I stepped out there. And God showed up. <clears throat> So in Luke chapter number 8, um, verse number 40 to 56, we see the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And so in that story, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house because Jairus said, my, my 12-year-old daughter, she's, she's dying. And so Jesus is on his way to her house. And so then we see a woman with, with a hemorrhaging issue for 12 years, she sees Jesus in the crowd, and she starts to, to go after him. Like, she, she knows if I, if I can touch him, I can be healed, right? And, and she starts to pursue him. So one thing you have to understand in that day, two things. Number one, a woman should not be in a public setting in a crowd like that. She should not be in the middle of it. That was kind of seen as unclean. She, she shouldn't be there. Number two, she had a bleeding issue. So... So she had so many things working against her. Being a woman, she shouldn't have been in that setting. Having that issue, she shouldn't have been in, the, in, the, in a public setting. She shouldn't have even been where she could see Jesus in the first place. She should have been somewhere off. And so she was already not where she was supposed to be. So now she, she had to overcome, I'm, I'm already here. But now I have to push past all the social norms of telling me what's possible to, to, to go get a miracle. And so she started to press to the crowd and she touched Jesus. And Jesus said, who touched me, right? And we all know the story. She gets healed. So here's the interesting thing in that, in that whole scripture. 
So Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. The woman had the bleeding issue for 12 years. So the moment her issue started, God was birthed the thing that would collide her with her miracle. So her solution was birthed the exact same time her issue was birthed. So she had the issue for 12 years. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. And so in this process, this woman now has to reach for the risk. She has to reach against social norms. She has to reach against everything that they said is possible. But when she does, her miracle takes place. But she didn't know God had already planned her miracle and set up her miracle waiting on her to respond. So, so many times we're like, God, do something. God, do something. And God's saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to activate your faith. I'm waiting on you to believe me. I'm waiting on you to press. I'm waiting on you to push. And as you do, I'm going to meet you there. I've already got your miracle set up. I've already got your point of breakthrough set in my mind. But now I'm waiting on you. Are you desperate enough to press for it? Are you desperate enough to push for it? Are you going to reach for the miracle? Or are you going to passively say, well, if it's God's will, maybe if he wants to, possibly, right? Here's the thing about our, our faith. It's two-sided. We have responsibility. There's a part we play, and there's a part God plays. And when we do our part, he'll do his part. And so we have to walk in a place of active faith to press, to push, and to look and to, 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 to really approach God saying, God, I'm believing you for this. God, I'm looking for this. And we've got to put our faith out there for God to meet us in a place of breakthrough. And we can't just say, okay, Lord, if you want to do it, maybe, and just kind of not go for it, right? What if that woman was just sat on the side and said, well, if it's Jesus' will, he'll come by and he'll touch me. She'd still be, she'll still be sitting there in her issue, Right? But she had to say in herself, I know he can do it. I know that if I get to him, this, everything I'm facing will be changed. I know that if I press in, this will shift. And so she did. And I believe there, there are things that God has been speaking to everyone in this room about. It's different for everyone. But there are things he's put inside of your heart. There are dreams that he's put inside of your heart. There are desires that he's put inside of your heart. That he's saying, this is the moment. This is the season to reach. To press. To press for the things I've put inside of your heart. It is a time to contend. To contend for your healing. To contend for your breakthrough. To contend for your family salvation. To contend. This is the moment to begin to press in and to begin to contend because as you do, He will meet you there in that place. And so life lies to us and tells us, you know what, you, you know what? don't even try anymore. Don't, don't, you, you tried that once, you believed once, and, di- and it didn't happen. So, so don't, just, 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 just kind of don't worry about that, just move on to something else. 
And the enemy likes to mute us, to put us in a place of silence, to put us in a place of passivity where we no longer believe, where we no longer press in, where we no longer trust God, where we no longer believe for the miracle. That woman had the issue for 12 years. So right now we read that story in hindsight and we're looking, yeah, she had it for 12 years. What about year number two? How did she feel in year number two? How did she feel in year number six? How did she feel when it was year number 10? Like, man, it says she went to every doctor. She spent every money she had trying to get healed. What about year number 11? What about the beginning of year number 12? When she's like, I've been at this for 12 years. I should should just stop. This is probably a good stopping point. But, but if she had stopped at the beginning of year number 12, she would never got a miracle. And she didn't know she was just at the place right then where the miracle was about to happen. And so some of you may be facing some situations you've been facing for decades. Don't stop pressing. Don't stop pushing. Don't stop. This is your season for breakthrough. This is your moment for breakthrough. Every bit of resistance is actually working for you. Can I let you know a secret? Watch, this is going to mess with you now. Got to lean in, lean in, lean in so I can tell you. <laughs> the resistance you're facing is not the devil. It's not the devil. It's God. Because sometimes God likes to to resist us to see how much we're going to press in. To see how much we're going to push past every resistance and every situation to possess the breakthrough. So in Exodus chapter 14, it's the story of, of, of the children of Israel, right? And so in that story, we see the, the ten plagues just happen, all that, all that, all that kind of went down. The last plague happens where God says, I'm going to kill the firstborn, firstborn sons of, of, of Israel. I mean, Egypt, thank you. That, that's a different Bible story. Um, and so he does, and, and Pharaoh said, all right, that's enough. Let them go. Just, just get them away from me. I'm just, they've, they've been a plague on my house. I'm, I'm tired of them. Get them out, right? And so Pharaoh finally agrees to let the children of Israel go. And so they're leaving. You know what the Bible says? It says God stirred Pharaoh's heart and said, go pursue them. Who did that? God, not the devil. God stirred Pharaoh's heart and said, go pursue them. And so they finally get free from Egypt. And then God sends the greatest fighting force on the planet at that day to go pursue a bunch of slaves who had no warring skills. Does that sound fair? Fair. 
And so they go pursuing them. They come to the Red Sea. They all look at Moses and they're like, bruh, bruh, for real, the sea, the army, like, what are we going to do? What are we? And they, they looked at Moses and said, are there not graves in Egypt? We could have stayed in Egypt and died. We didn't have to come out here to die in the wilderness. And Moses is like, okay, Lord, like, for real, though, what are we going to do, though? <laughs> and the Lord, you know, tells him, stretch forth your hand, waters part, right? And so they, they start to go across on dry ground. And so as they do, the Egyptian army is pursuing them. The Egyptian army comes into the middle of, of, the, of the ocean, and what does God do? <laughs> Closes it, right? And kills them all. So God does a t- two miracles. Number one, he set them free. Number two, he set them up that that miracle that brought them free was also the same miracle that destroyed their enemies. So God made the situation as impossible as it possibly could be. He made it more difficult on purpose because he wanted to show up and to show off. There are situations in your life that's been difficult, that just got more difficult, that God is getting ready to show up in and show off because he wants to demonstrate his glory through you. I'm telling you, every difficult situation in your life, every difficult place in your life, God wants to show up there. God is getting ready to step on the scene in that impossible situation and release a miracle. He's the one who set it up in the first place. He likes to set a stage of impossibility. He likes to set a stage of difficulty. He likes to set a stage where, where you're like, oh my gosh, there's the, what, what could possibly happen? So that he can step out on the middle of it and display his glory. You don't need a miracle when everything is okay. You need a miracle when everything is not okay. How do you know he's a miracle working God when you need a miracle, right? And so God is getting ready to show up in your life in this season to demonstrate who he is in such a supernatural way that's going to blow your mind. God no longer wants to sit off at a distance. He wants to be involved in every single aspect of our life. And he wants to show up in every aspect of our life. And the greatest way for him to do that is for us to partner with him and then he'll show up. For us to reach for him and say, God, we need you here. Come be involved in this. And you invite him into every situation and every circumstance. And he will show up in a mighty way to demonstrate who he is for you. Amen. Just go ahead and lift your hands. So, Father, right now, I just thank you that you're good. That in everything we face, you're good. That even in the most difficult situations, you're good. Even in the hardest places, God, you're good. So, Lord, I speak right now to every 
difficult place they're facing in their life, whether it's financial, whether it's health, whether it's relational, whatever the issue is right now, Lord, I thank you, God, that you are getting ready to step on into the scene of their life with a miracle. So, Lord, I declare today that faith is active in every heart right now, God, that with we're activating a new level of faith right now to reach for you, to reach for of the risk God not for the place of the comfort but reaching for you reaching for the thing that seems difficult reaching for the thing that seems hard because as we do you're getting ready to show up and to show off Lord so right now God I declare miracles right now to come forth miracles into lives miracles into difficult circumstances miracles into the impossible place right now God I thank you that you're the God of the impossible you're getting ready to do the impossible for your people in this season Lord Love.